the Evolved Succeed podcast where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Andy Edwards, motivational speaker, business coach, and author of the book, Why Can't People Be More Like Me?, which looks at personality types and the way they affect our lives and the working environment. It's a fascinating read, and I'd even say it's an essential one for anyone who wants to better understand themselves and enhance their personal and business relationships. Amongst other things in this podcast, Andy reveals... What we've been taught about how we treat other people is largely misguided. I don't know if you're subject to Facebook wisdom, I, I certainly know I am. And a lot of it comes along with, I treat others how I like to be treated. Well, what a mistake that is. And, and it's in all the good books. It's in the Bible, it's in the Quran, it's in everywhere. It says, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's wrong. Addresses the way that understanding your personality can help you identify and reverse limiting beliefs. Self-limiting beliefs are when you don't listen to the message given, given to you by the emotion you're feeling. And talks about the value that understanding different personality types from an early age could have. As they come out of their teenage years, this stuff becomes extremely useful when they start to recognise that it's not just about them. Please remember to go to EvolveMembers.com to find out more about Evolve. But in the meantime, let's get on with the show. Andy, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me, Warren. Good to see you, by the way. Yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast. And I'm really intrigued to have you on a guest on this podcast and on this episode just to explore well, the title of your book, actually, uh, Why People Can't Be More Like Me. Yeah. Uh, and those different personality types and how they can affect relationships in the workplace, which is really important. Yeah, they really can. So for our listeners, perhaps you could just give us a short summary of your background and why this is one of your areas of expertise, Andy. Sure, can can do, yeah. Um, those people who know me well and, and thus forgive me for it uh, know that I started off in a state agency way back in the 1980s. Oh, um, it, it's pretty, yeah, it's out of my system now, don't worry. <laughs> Did you have the red braces to go I, with it? <laughs> I had the white socks, the XR2i, I had the lot, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm suitably embarrassed. But doing that job sort of introduced me to the way people buy. So it's a sales sort of job, uh, of course. And I recognise that when people bought things, they tend to buy things in very different ways, but with some similarities. So people often wanted something more than they could afford. And they would look to, oh, if I could afford that one, I would be happy. Yet the people who could afford that one looked up the next one. If I could afford that, I could be happy. And I wondered what drove that. I also recognised that people would buy by virtue of what wasn't present as much as what was. So they'd look at a house uh, which was in their price range, in their size range, in their geographical area. And then they discount it by virtue of something rather than include it by virtue of something. So, yeah, this one, um, it's no good. It's got the garden's too small. This one's no good. It needs too much work. So it would be a discounted thing rather than a... a yeah. So it, it all made me think. And, and as I went through my career, I started to realise that selling was all about the other person, how they tick. And um, I remember going to my, my guru at the time saying... I need to understand how people tick. Teach me how people tick. And my guru, a bloke called Mark, he said, uh, that's the wrong question. 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like the perfect question to me. <laughs> I thought it was the perfect question. Hence, I asked it. And he said, that's the wrong question. I said, so what's the right question? And gurus being what they are, he said, well, you've got to work that one out. Thanks. So I went away. Nine months or so later, I remember it was one of my birthdays. I went back to him. I said, Mark, I think I've got the right question. And he said, what so soon? He was such a patronizing guru. Anyway, he said, so what is the right question? I said, well, the first question I asked you was, how do people tick? How do I I work out how people tick? How do I read other people? I realized the first question has got to be, how do I tick? He said, that's the right question. Let's start. Which introduced me to behavioral psychology. I've okay. now become accredited in behavioral psychology, such that uh, I'm now accredited to deliver a number of different psychometric profiles. I've been doing this now for more than 15 years and uh, recognize the power behind it simply from a relationship point of view, my own personal relationships, ones with my children. And of course, I've built a business around it. Okay. That's brilliant, Andy. So, Within the book, you talk about four different personality types. Mm. So do you want to, you know, and I know that's just one of many models, but in terms of that model, do you want to give us an insight into what those four different personality types typically are? Yeah. Well, the particular model that I look to and borrow from, models, should I say, it's plural, is based on Jungian psychology, Carl Jung, the seminal psychologist, uh, who was a mate of Sigmund Freud. Uh, but that, let's not have a history lesson. And and the point is, he came up with the idea that there were probably three things going on between one's ears. First of all, the extent to which you're introverted or extroverted, how you show up, is your locus of attention external or internal, which is often very obvious when you first meet somebody. Some people are ambiverts and they can do a little bit of both. The next bit that Jung suggested was the extent to which we are head first or heart first people. So thinking or feeling. So we've got now two points. We've got an extroversion or an introversion, and now we've got a thinking or a feeling. So we've got four basic positions. The extroverted thinker, the extroverted feeler, the introverted feeler, and the introverted thinker. Add a further dimension, which is the way in which we process information, and Jung called this the difference between being intuitive, psychological intuition, and sensation-based. That does complicate things, and if we've got a couple of three days to go, we can include that part, but (laughs) but it's probably best we just stick. We've got a 50-minute podcast here, Andy. (laughs) It's probably best we just stick to the basic principles, which is a great starting place, and I think from from 80% of your relationships will be based on the extent to which somebody starts in a particular colour or corner. And those colours are the red, yellow, green, blue. The red being the extroverted thinking style, which is get it done, sort it out, move it along, do it at the pace, preferably my pace. We have the extroverted feeler, which uh, I sort of come from the extroverted feeler, which is quite gregarious, a typical enthusiast, somebody who uh, likes to connect and have fun with others. Then we have the introverted version of feeling, which is our green colour, which is somebody who's very supportive, uh, very comfortable uh, orientation, holds values close to their hearts. And then our fourth, uh, by no means least, place our blue, which is our introverted thinking, harder to read simply because it's going on between the ears and they don't get a lot of expression coming externally. So that's our blue colour, more logical, more precise and more careful. Okay, that's brilliant. But inevitably, when you you see that and you hear that and... There must be some conflict, therefore, between those different personality types. And that must be at the heart of what about building true relationships is all about, Andy. It is. It is. Um, conflict is a great... Relationship is, is the currency of, of life, let yeah. alone anything else, business. And if you consider that those are different, almost mutually, mutually exclusive styles. So I mentioned blue there, being cautious, precise, analytical, careful. Their opposite is the yellow, which is gregarious, fun-loving 
reckless yeah. uh, and, and crazy. And that's how they'll come across to somebody with a lot of blue energy. So what we'll find is that people in opposition, that's blue and yellow, yellow and blue, or red and green, green and red, will see the other person in their negative versions first. Okay. Uh, rather than their positive versions. And they won't really know they're doing it until it's pointed out. And then, ah, oh, that's why he does that. That's why she's like that. That's why he doesn't do so and so. And ah, now I understand. And understanding leads to acceptance, which leads to a better relationship. Okay. So you talked about yourself, about you know finding yourself and finding what sort of individual you were before you can understand others and that kind of thing. But it must be a challenge. You know, most business leaders out there are the, the sort of extrovert, probably in that red cat category. You know, front foot forward, just want to get on with it and probably don't stop and reflect. So how can you get somebody that's perhaps that kind of business leader to stop and reflect and see the other personality types around them, Andy. <laughs> With great difficulty, Warren. Um, j- just, to, to, just to condition some of the things you're talking about. Yeah, there the, the tends to be um, authority vested in red style, uh, with that uh, that ability to drive things forward, get things done, sort things out at a pace, largely because that style of personality is less risk averse than many others. So they will do a risk, they won't take a risk. Thus, if it works, they tend to find themselves in charge. So it's not that you have to have that style of personality in order to be a leader. It just seems to be a little bit skewed towards that personality by virtue of the preference of taking risks and surely different industries must demand different styles of leadership and therefore different personality types and you must have seen that over the years i have yeah and and the question i'm often asked is do you become that personality type because you're an accountant yeah or do you become an accountant because you're that personality type and i i would say it's a little bit of both but i think that the, the main thing is that Somebody who is logical, precise, careful and cautious will be attracted to professions that allow them to have those strengths, yeah. like logisticians, like accountancy, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, in the sales jobs out there, the recruitment agencies, car sales, estate agencies yeah, yeah. tend to be the yellow way, I see. Tend to be more gregarious, yeah. outgoing, um, which is good in one way and negative in another. Yeah. Because if they're trying to sell to somebody who's not of that type, yeah. Somebody with a lot of yellow energy will come across as disingenuous, flippity gibbet, um, somebody who's reckless even, uh, takes liberties. So we've got to be a little bit careful about making sure that we converse and, and, and create relationships with people in the way they prefer. And it's a really important point because I often hear, and I don't know if you're subject to Facebook wisdom, I, I certainly know I am, and a lot of it comes along with, I treat others how I like to be treated. Well, what a mistake that is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in all the good books. It's in the Bible. It's in the Quran. It's in everywhere. It says, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's wrong. At an it's a, it's a existential level. It's a moment of controversy here. And the, <laughs> it's an exercise. I'm not going to be struck by The Quran, they are wrong. Oh, my word. <laughs> the Torah, the whole thing. Uh, it's got that version. And I know what it means existentially. It means yeah. love thy neighbor and look after each other and all that good stuff. But on a day-to-day practical, certainly in a workplace basis, if I treated people the way I like to be treated in the workplace... Warren, I'd probably get arrested. Mm-hmm. I'm very touchy-feely, certainly not at the moment around the COVID, but the idea of going up to somebody and, and wanting to slap them on the shoulder or give them a hug or yeah. something. Now, I'd do that to the wrong person. And, and there's a lawsuit mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. So I must treat others the way they prefer to be treated, not the way I prefer to be treated. Uh-huh. And that's quite an important point when we're looking at those different styles of personality, which comes back to your point about the leader, whichever style. And I wouldn't say all of them are extroverted. There's... 
a fair few leaders have got to where they are by being very quietly supportive, very careful about their decisions. And what I would say is they're full of gravitas mm. when they speak. It's a bit, a bit like David Attenborough. When he speaks, people listen yeah. because he's got some sort of expertise. And people go, wow, we, know, we vest expertise in this guy. We, we realise he knows what he's talking about. So we, we listen. We be- what a great way of putting it. We believe yeah. up against somebody who's the opposite style of gravitas. And that would come across as charisma. Yeah. which would be the, come on, guys, we, we know what we're doing. Let's go. I'll, I'll put my first foot forward. Follow me. And either way works. Mm. And as you say as well, you start to superimpose the different professions across those different leadership styles and you can get success in any field. Okay. It'd be interesting to explore that, you know, an organisation that perhaps doesn't understand all the different personality types that it's got within that business, within that organisation, and then goes through an exercise to understand the personality types and the difference it can make have you got any real life examples yeah quite often the first part of any training that i might put in with with people will result in people being fascinated they love it they say that's amazing that's it i didn't know this stuff existed the very vast majority and then there's that little bit of well so what so what that i'm i've got a, a lot of red so what he's got a lot of yellow so the organizations who really work with this well are the ones that succeed with this. Mm. Like pretty much any, anything. Start integrating some of this. Start making decisions on the back of the differences that uh, are, are manifest. Then you start to get everybody on board. A recent company, um, manufacturing company in, in, in Kent, they, uh, they've taken this on board absolutely. And everybody's part, everybody's part and parcel of it. So they now have things called colorful meetings. Okay. So this meeting is a red meeting. We have 10 minutes to make a decision because that's a very extroverted and thinking style. We've got 10 minutes. We need a decision. We'll, we'll go at it like a bulls in China shops. We'll work it out and we'll all go out there agreeing that's what we're going to do. It's a doing thing. Yeah. You might want a yellow meeting, which is, hey, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. Neither do I. Well, let's start with a blank piece of paper. Well, let's just shoot the breeze. Let's go down the pub, have a couple of pints. It might look better through that lens. Yellow meetings, very creative, very fun-loving. Green yeah. meeting, let's have a green meeting. Why? Because some of the impacts on other people may be important here. We need to establish how people feel, what their values are, whether we're transgressing any of those values. So let's have a meeting based on green. And of course, the blue meeting is, let's establish process and protocol. Let's make sure we're capturing all the details here. Because if we're not, something might be missing. Now, I'm not saying that a meeting has to be only in one colour. Yeah. But these people say it starts off with this meeting is all about process protocol. It's a blue meeting. Yeah. So they really get a sense of where, what they need to be calling on in themselves in order to contribute well to that meeting. So there's a great example of how it might work actually within an organization. But there are plenty of other applications, which I, in my book, mention things like the appraisal system. Mm. A- appraisal system, appraise somebody in their color. Yeah. They will love you and prefer you for it. Certainly greet them in that color. Yeah, and when you're when you're saying goodbye to them uh, after the appraisal, sort of say say goodbye in their colour. In between, so give us can... an example. Of that. So you might have somebody who's got a lot of green energy walking into your appraisal room, and you say, "Good morning, Javed. Thanks ever so much for coming along. Really appreciate your time. Um, no big surprises here. Green won't like surprises. No big surprises here. Pretty much everything we've uh, spoken about in the past." is contained here. So if you don't mind, I'm going to do a couple of uh, things that I'd like to tell you about, and then I want to hear how it feels for you. Now, that sort of style, it it sounds a little bit um, 
forced when I'm yeah. saying it without the p- person in front of me, would be different to somebody whom you know has got a lot of the opposite colour. Yeah. Red. Bill, come on in. Grab a seat. All right, won't take too long here. So all of a sudden, my volume's different. I'm a little bit more staccato with my delivery. Won't take too long. In fact, why not say, we'll make this last 10 minutes because I know you're busy. And when you leave, you say, by the way, Bill, more of the same. I'm going to challenge you to the next level. Get out there and sort it. And they go, yes, boss. I'm right. I'm, let me have it. You do that to the wrong colour and, and they'll ch- throw back into their shell. Yeah, because you haven't spent the time that they'd expect you to spend with them. Absolutely. You haven't listened to them. You haven't done all of those things. Exactly that. But interesting, you know, even in that short conversation, and I know you mentioned it in your book a number of times, Andy, you talk about this using the knowledge of personality types to influence. Yes. But there must be a fine line, even in that example, between using it to influence a conversation, making a conversation more worthwhile mm. and all parties getting more from it to a point where you're manipulating the yeah. situation. Now, surely that is a fine line, isn't it? It's a fine line which you just use the very words that make that difference. You said all parties benefit from it. Yeah. Which is something very similar. Um, okay, an example is that my my sons are left-handed, um, both of them. When they come round for Sunday lunch, I set the table and I treat them the way they prefer to be treated. And I set the table not the way I prefer it, the way yeah. they prefer it. So they've got their knife and fork around what I would call the wrong way. Yeah. So what I've done is I've played to their preference. Have I manipulated them? No. Have I influenced them? Well, no, I've just played to their preference. It makes their life that much more easy. And I can feel a degree of satisfaction that I've done that. They might not even be aware. They might not even know. Yeah. And that's the point. But the hard difference between influence and manipulation is very little. Here's the problem. To influence somebody, you use exactly the same techniques as you do to manipulate somebody. It's exactly the same thing. You use exact... It's it's unbelievable how similar these things are. So what is the difference? If the techniques are the same, what's the difference? Well, it can only be the intention of the person doing it. Yeah. The word is intention. If the intention, and to tie it in with what you said, is to ensure that everybody gets what they want then you've not manipulated anybody. And quite often people don't understand that. They'll say, well, manipulation is a harsher thing to do. I say, well, not really. I can influence people to get out of this building because it's on fire and they don't realise. And that's going to be a harsh statement. I'm going to shout at them because I know it's right for them and they will eventually understand that. So you can influence somebody with quite a lot of purpose and quite a lot of push if, hand on heart and hand on their heart, you know that it's right for them too. Okay. Right, thank you for that. Does that help? It does, it does. It just seems that there's this little bit of where is the ethical line, I suppose. Yeah. And that's the danger. It, it's, it's absolutely about the, the, the person doing it. And, and there is a little bit of that. When, when people first learn what the techniques are attached to some of the psychometrics that I talk about, literally the techniques, when, when you pause with somebody with a lot of green and you just put your head to one side and you say, so is there anything else? It's a technique. It's a communication technique. If you do that with somebody a lot of green, you will get absolute gems because they'll frown a little bit and they'll perhaps shake their heads a little bit and they go, well, um, well, actually, there was something. And that's the bit you've been waiting for. Yeah. There was something. Have you manipulated that? No. You've played to their preference and you've both got something out of it because yeah. they now get to say what's truly in their heart yeah. and you get to understand what's actually going on. 
I think that's an all, all-round powerful thing. Yeah, that's, that everybody wins now. But when you it? do it, when you do it, it does feel like you are manipulating. You know why? Because it works. Yeah. When you do that, it flipping works. Okay. So should an organisation have one of every different colour type? <laughs> that's a great question. Again, going back to the idea that certain professions will attract certain styles and types of people, although not exclusively. We hinted that accountants will pr- prevail around that blue energy, that careful, yeah. precise, introverted thinking. I want my accountant to be careful. I want my accountant yeah. to be to be um, cautious and, and precise. Of course I do. And yet I was speaking at, a, at an accountant's conference not that long ago. And afterwards I had somebody come up to me, a young lady, who was very ebullient, very enthusiastic, and said, oh my goodness. I said, what? She said, I've got to change job. And I said, oh, why? <laughs> Are you going to blame me for your career? She said... How can I be an accountant? And I've got so much yellow. And I can say, well, I can see you've got a lot of yellow. A couple of questions. Do you enjoy your job? Oh, I love my job. It's fantastic. Why do you enjoy your job? Well, I can add things up and they all come out to the right figure. And I can go and tell people about what they can do. About I said, you just have a skill called numbers where you're finding a lot of fun. Yeah. said, be an accountant and be yellow because yeah. I love it. I love how you're bringing that difference. Yeah. But it's not a typical accountant. No. So you can prevail in any of this sort of stuff. You don't have to be Mr. or Mrs. Red to yeah. be a leader. You can lead as a support team. So you think different industries, different organisations, different professions might have a dominance of one colour. Yeah. But would you expect an organisation to have a bit of everything within it to succeed? Um, I'd like the organisation to succeed on the basis that they are aware of all the different styles. And by the way, the four styles are not boxes. They're not you stick somebody in a corner because somebody with primary red, for instance, and primary red, not a red person, primary red energy will have a secondary. That secondary is likely to be either yellow or blue. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different creature, Warren. Somebody with primary red will say it's got to be done. With the secondary of yellow, it'll be, and we might as well have some fun while we're doing it. But if they're primary red with a secondary blue, it'll start in the same place. It's got to be done. And the secondary kicker will be, and it had better be right. Mm. Very, very different feel, even though you're starting from the same spot. Yeah. So please don't think this is Because everybody's about... a combination of everything. I mean, I can see that as in me. that I mean, I've had, in my corporate days, I had this yeah. very psychometric test done that you refer to. And yeah, and I'm red-yellow. Yes, yeah, I, I can see. Um, but I clearly have got a lot of blue in me to do what I do day in, day out. And you've got to be a, everybody's got to be a blend, haven't they? And, and, ab- and that absolutely. might be a danger of this, isn't it? That you do put people in a box. Yeah, Pe- people put themselves in a box. Yeah. Um, I'm the guy with the salt and pepper hair. I'm the guy with the brown eyes. Well, are they boxes or are they facts? Yeah. So you say, well, is psychology a fact? Mm, it could be, especially if it's manifest very clearly in somebody. You say, yeah, you sort of have got that box, but the box has no lid on it. Yeah. You can jump from that box into another box anytime you like. My challenge is blue yeah. because I'm primary yellow. My opposite is blue. And so to do the blue detail thing is a challenge. Yeah. Do I have to do it? Of course I do. But I do it to the extent to which I can be yellow brilliantly. Right. So how do you find writing books then? Because you've written several books. That's a really good point. Um, I have to talk it. I have to have to speak it first. Okay. So I have to, if you think about my, my preference, it's extroverted feeling. How do I feel about the subject? Extrover- extrovertize it. Yeah. I need to put it out there. So it starts with a talk. Okay. It starts with um, recording it, um, and which is why often my books translate into video-based training courses. Okay. Yeah. So um, my, my t- two or three books I've got on the go at the moment, are all of which will have a corollary training course 
which I put on a learning platform, because that's how it starts. Yeah. I literally take the transcript of what I've said and put it into a book, obviously needing a little bit of blueness around because you can't put exactly the same phraseology in a book as you can uh, as you're speaking. But uh, because I know what I'm talking about then and it's fun, I find the fun in it. Okay. It can be a bit of a drag, but that's how I do it. put it out first. Okay. So do you think one of those fundamental questions of life, I suppose, nature or nurture, and in terms of personality types, is it nature or nurture? Yeah, the old jury's going to be out probably forever on that one. Um, although increasingly, neuroscience is, is starting to find some of these various genes and things that either get triggered on or triggered off. Um, not an expert in neuroscience. I follow it a little bit. I'm going to come down on the side of Jung, who, let's face it, was probably, um, well, he, he was the, the, the sort of kicker offer of this sort of stuff. He reckoned that it was more to do with your nature. That's not to say the nurture doesn't come into it and turn things on or off for you. Certainly around trauma, mm. certainly around some things that are big that have happened. Yeah. Um, and yet I see people who go through trauma in very, very different ways. There's a particular guy I know who's primary yellow, secondary red, so lots of extroversion, was in a plane crash. And he refers to, in a very positive way, his plane crash by saying, I suffer from post-traumatic stress growth. So he says, right. so much I can learn from that crash and, and what I've done differently to other people. And so, wow, that's, that's a great approach. Mm. So it, it, it is horses for courses, but I would come down on the idea that you are you get identical twins that are different. My kids, not much between them. They're so different. Yeah. So did I nurture them in a different way? I don't think so. No. Uh, the psycho Freudian psychologist would say, absolutely, I did. Um, I don't believe I did, but they are and very much will be completely different characters. Uh, Jung reckoned up to about the age of 24, you, you've got some fluidity around your type. Yeah. There afterwards, it, it's pretty much who you pretty are. Pretty much. Set. People do and can change, especially their middle two colours. Yeah. So my primary yellow probably earlier on used to be secondary green yeah. rather than secondary red, which it is now. That would be more of a, of a nurture thing. Because my secondary green used to be because I wanted people to like me. Yeah. Uh, I still do, actually. But it was prevalent. So that secondary green was I would do anything for anybody. I'd just say yes. Yeah. Secondary green. Now, it's uh, I've run my own business for 25 years. And uh, a few people have had to bounce off me and vice versa. So, mm, no, this is my way. Okay. So I've, I've recognized that red feels more comfortable to me. Yeah. And, and that, by the way, is probably what we do is if you recognize or believe you've changed over a period of time, it's probably you've changed to becoming more of who you are than what you were before because you were you were efforting before. Wow. That's a, so that's a really interesting. I've just I've come on to that. But yeah, I mean, I've got two girls. Yeah. And one's definitely, you know, in that green camp. Nice. Caring, yeah. Empathetic, considerate. And then I've got one probably more like me, <laughs> the little one who's more red. You know, driven, focused, assertive. Yeah. She knows what she wants. Sure. Um, so it's really interesting, isn't it? You can have two children from the same parents and have that different personality type. And this is before we start getting into the order in which people are born, um, because we find that second and third children tend to be more extroverted than the firstborn. Yeah. The firstborn is more self-contained. Um, oh, some really weird statistics around different orders of born. Apparently, if you as a third born of the family marry somebody else who's also a third born of the family that marriage lasts longer than any other marriage around right. and i don't Successful. know that so there you are listeners <laughs> the, 
the thing to be a successful marriage is you've got to be the third born and find another third born. That's very profound. Isn't that weird? But the situation is that whatever personality type you've got, and you refer to it in the book, is we all have limiting beliefs, yes. aren't we? And I think that more than anything in life is what holds a lot of us back. Yeah. yeah. So what's your feeling around limiting beliefs and how we can address them? They're there for a reason. Yeah. Um, quite often in my capacity as a coach, people come to me and say things like, I worry all the time and it's limiting me. Um, I think everything's going to go wrong. So yes, it's a limiting belief by definition. Now I've got to be careful here because I am not a psychiatrist. Yeah. So what I can't comment on is anything beyond, what do they call it now? Neurotypical. Okay. So we're talking about neurotypical, we're not talking about syndromes or situations where a pathology takes over or a diagnosis takes over. So neuro, neurotypically, um, people will, um, will tend to fall into these categories. Beyond that, it's a little bit more up for grabs. Okay. Right. Okay. Accept that. I understand that. In terms of typically, when you go into an organisation... How long does it typically take for the individuals within that organisation to understand a bit more about who they are and adjust their behaviour accordingly? Right, there's a gap between those two statements. Okay. Understand within seconds. Yeah. Within utter seconds. Because you read it on a piece of paper and you um, think that's me? Or? Yeah, but the facilitation helps as well because to start off with, one of the first things I say to a group of people is... Finish this sentence. In fact, the listeners might even want to do this themselves. Okay. Finish this sentence. I'm the type of person who... Dot, dot, dot. Okay. I'm the type of person who what? Now, it will change probably from minute to minute, day to day, certainly year to year. But what is it now? I'm the type of person... If I asked you that here and now, under these circumstances, under the situation we find ourselves in today, what is your continuation of that statement? I'm the type of person who... Dot, dot, dot. And people come up with things. Um, they tend to fall into certain categories. But early on in a, in a training course, some people, a few, will say, I'm the type of person who would prefer not to answer this question. <laughs> and of course... There you've got your awkward delegate, Andy. <laughs> and what absolutely stuns me is they don't realise how much they've just communicated. Yeah. I'm the type of person who doesn't like to answer this sort of question is as much of a communication as I'm the type of person who's gregarious, fun-loving, and outgoing. Yeah. You say... It's the opposite. So you're, and often people say to me, "I don't believe in these categorizations. It's boxing people in. It's it's doing this, it's doing that, it's doing the other." And I'll I'll try and explain a little bit of the reasoning behind why it doesn't have to be. But if people have those self-limiting beliefs, and, and I will touch back on them because I don't want to sort of knock that completely off, um, they'll say things like, "I don't believe in this sort of stuff." And the answer, of course, as a psychometrician, I can turn around and say, "You don't believe in that stuff." There's some other people who don't believe in that stuff as well. So you must belong to that group. And they go, oh, right. Yeah, but... Uh, and I say, well, you're defining yourself in terms of not believing in this stuff. So that must be a subgroup. Yeah. So you can't tell me the groups don't exist because you've just defined yourself as such. So going back to the idea of self-limiting beliefs, there are answers in psycho psychometrics. The idea that somebody who worries too much... I said, well, why, why do you worry? Perhaps it's just a form of caring. Perhaps, perhaps you are, you know, you care enough to worry. Um, I get, I get angry a lot. Help me with my anger. You say, well, what, what is not the anger there for a reason? Yeah. So, the self-limiting beliefs are when you don't listen to the message given given to you by the emotion you're feeling. 
Yeah. And again, keeping it within neurotypical because we get depression, which, you know, that's not, I'm not qualified to speak heavily yeah. about, but somebody worries too much. The extent to which you start worrying about your worry or get angry with your anger starts to become the pathology, starts to become okay. that you start to need professional help. Yeah. But to have a coaching conversation around your anger is there for a reason. It's talking to you about something needs to change, probably because it will lead to your frustration. What is it that you can change? Is there an attitudinal issue whereby you can't change something you feel you want to? That's called frustration. Your worry, is it about something that's going to happen that may not happen? Is it because you care enough about this? Listen to that emotion. Don't deny it. You deny your emotions, and you can do that, by the way, from, you know, you can drink, you can take some drugs, you can do certain activities that will deny you your emotion, the one that you're trying to try and stifle. It will also stifle the other ones. Yeah. So you've got to welcome these things as little messengers and say that, that these are valid things to, to, to experience. Recently, I've, I've seen on the internet, a few people have said, the key to happiness is to eradicate all negative feelings. Oh, God, it really isn't. No. It absolutely isn't. In fact, you only know you're happy by virtue of the contrast you have with the negative crap. So it's really important to understand that what you've been through makes you who you are. And without that lesson, you're going to get that lesson again. Yeah. And you might have to miss out on something. So I'm all for listening to what those those little frustration, angry, jealous, all those little niggly emotions. What's that actually telling me? What is the message they're bringing me? So embrace them, don't ignore them. Absolutely embrace them, neurotypically. If yeah. he gets too much, then yeah. go speak to someone. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So going back to that question, then you so you think you can get people to quite quickly recognise the, their personality type? Yes. Getting them to understand and adapt to other personality types yeah. and communicate better with other personality types, that must take a bit more time, surely. It takes practice. Like, yeah. a, like anything that's new uh, in terms of knowledge, you've got to start to implement that. And it can be a bit clumsy to start off with. Um, there's a wonderful book out there called um, Surrounded by Idiots. And it's the book that I should have written. It's the book that I've actually written, but in response to that. And I'm jealous because he sold over two million copies and I've sold a few hundred of mine. But my book talks about the psychometry, psychometrics of primary red, secondary something else. He talks about a red person, a blue person, and they don't exist. That's yeah. called boxing people in. Yeah. So I, I get a little bit frustrated about when I leave a group of people and they come back to me the next session and they say, oh, I was speaking to my boss. He is a blue. Yeah. So he may have a lot of blue energy, but there's three others at stake here, including the one he's least, which is something you really need to understand because you mustn't do that stuff to or with him. Of course, yeah, because that's the other thing, isn't it? We've, we've talked throughout this whole discussion around focusing on the primary, but actually that, that fourth personality type is the one that you don't want to play to in any way, shape or form, is it? Be best to avoid. Yeah. It, it's it's the second most important colour that, that people have. Your primary is your lens through which you see things. Your secondary is your guiding principle, so it'll support that primary colour. But your least tells you what you're not. Yeah. And uh, there's some stuff in the book called bipolar dynamics. And I won't get into the technicalities here, but basically bipolar dynamics says whatever you deny of yourself, you are probably its opposite. Yeah. And it's a more instinctive thing to deny something of yourself than to claim something for yourself. So to de I've denied myself blue. It's my least, which probably means I've got a lot of yellow. And it actually does. Yeah. But somebody with a lot, of, a, a lot of red who also denies blue will also have a lot of yellow because it's the opposite of blue. So actually we combine those two colours. They're primary red, but they're also primary yellow because they've denied blue. Yeah. So we bring that together and call it orange. 
So we now get eight types. That, <laughs> that's in the book. That's in the book. Okay. That explain further. Just slightly off on a tangent, but something I think you probably would have an opinion on is Steve Jobs uh, said he valued intuition over intelligence. What are your thoughts on that as a statement? Um, so I, where I went with that, Warren, is that there is a difference between what he's talking about and what psychological intuition is. Yeah. So just to, just to give you an example, psychological intuition is one end of the scale. The other end of the scale is sensation or sensate. And what Jung suggested was that people process information. They have to take it in through their primary five senses, the, the standard five senses. And they uh, then they make it mean something. Now, people with a lot of sensate would say they'd look at a picture of a field with a tree and a river. And they'd say it's a picture of a field with a tree and a river. It is what it is. Yeah. I can see it. I can smell it. I can touch it. I can taste it. I can point to it. It exists in reality. So that's the sensate side of the equation. The intuition side, psychological intuition, would look at that. And of course, they have to take things in through their senses, but they would transfer it immediately to something they call a meaning. So they'd look at exactly the same picture of the field with a tree and a, a river. And they would say something like, now that is a great place for a wedding venue. Now, there's nothing in that picture to indicate weddings right. whatsoever. Yeah. That is a perfect place for a picnic. There's not even a pork pie in the picture. So they've created a meaning for it rather than recognize it for what it is. What Steve Jobs is talking about there is, I think, more to do with innovation than okay. as much as intuition. And it's looking for connecting some dots, saying, well, if that, then this, then perhaps something else. Yeah. So the idea of innovation, I think, prevails more so than my meaning of intuition. Okay. And clearly all of this and what we talk about applies in the kind of personal life as well as in the business life. I think it starts there. Okay. It's got to start there. And and both myself and well, my, my wife, Ali, she's um, she's a qualified psychologist. Okay. <laughs> it's great fun in our house. <laughs> yes, mate. I can imagine. Your uh, poor kids. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, kids absorb this stuff beautifully. I think they should teach it at school, to be absolutely honest. Yeah, in the morning, uh, Ali and I look to each other and we say, um, so uh, so uh, you're fine, how am I? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> but we, we do recognise the, for instance, my primary yellow is the same as her primary yellow. But her primary yellow is less than my yellow. She has a secondary green. I have a secondary red. And in the book, it explains what we do under stress is we tend to flick to our secondary. And so she flicks to green under stress and I flick to red under stress. We are now in opposite psychological corners under stress. Yeah. The knowledge of which has been really useful because I need to talk about it. I need to sort it out before we go to sleep. Before I'm going to sort this out right here and right now. Let's talk about it. Let's sort it out because I'm stressed and now red. She's stressed and now green, and she doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. She wants to see what it looks like tomorrow. She wants to go and talk to her friends about it. She yeah. wants to go and lick her wounds somewhere. The knowledge of that difference has been really helpful for the moments in our marriage where it's like, uh, no, you're going to do your green thing. I need to understand where I need to go with this red thing. Yeah. And what we've now un understood is that Ali will go away for a while and think about it, but she will come back to me and say, I've thought about it, and it's this. Yeah. Rather than me having to hound her and say, well, are you going to get an answer or, yeah. or are you... The knowledge of which to be useful. So from a personal point of view, it's got to start there. You are who you are first. Yeah. Work is just an extension of who you are, which brings me on to a point around a lot of people talk about, I'm a very different person at home than I am at work. I know what they mean. It's probably psychologically incorrect. Probably, not exclusively. Yeah. What they're meaning is there is a different context in work than there is at home. 
I'm not referring in psychometrics to context whatsoever. Yeah. I'm talking about preferences within a context. So I'll go back to the left-handed thing. So it's, that, it's a bit like somebody saying, I'm left-handed at work, but I'm right-handed at home. Yeah. You say, unlikely. Yeah. It is unlikely. You are right-handed at home and you do different things with your right hand at work. That's yeah. why it feels different. But the preference actually is the same. And that knowledge gets people thinking. They say, oh, okay, so it's not context because a lot of people will say, oh, it depends on the circumstances which color I bring. I say, good. Yeah, because that's be aware. that blend again, isn't it? That's bringing be the right blend to the table. Absolutely, yeah. but never think your preference is any different just because the context is different. Okay. It's the same preference, which means I have to work hard in a blue preference every time I find myself in a blue context. Every time. I don't go, oh, I'm blue today. No, I can't, I can't do that. No. I, I have to travel. I have to beam down onto that very planet. And, then, uh, and the people on that planet recognise me as a stranger. <laughs> you don't belong here, do you? No, I don't. Yeah. But I'm doing well, I'll be best. here for a while. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to have to be, unless you help me. In which case, I'll be here for seconds, because you're good at this stuff. Brilliant. You touched on something I was gonna, wanted to talk to you about, actually, which is schools and school-aged mm. children. And, and, you know, even my own childhood, as you grow up, you know, Growing up, particularly through teenage years, can be troublesome because you don't quite understand yeah. who you are. And yeah. do you think there is would be some benefit in sort of giving more kind of guidance to children and as they become teenagers as to what their personality types are? Yeah, do you think it would save some trauma? I think there's a lot of benefit to give kids from a relatively early age sort of as soon as they're able to conceptualize things probably from about eight onwards um to understand the different styles of personality that are out there and thus by definition available to them mm. because they're perhaps still trying things out they're trying to be a little bit cool yeah. uh, a little bit popular certainly around the teenage years yellow will prevail yeah. because it's yellow popularity enthusiasm very american high school sort of stuff and if, but if you're naturally yellow, that's great. But if you're not naturally yellow, that's going to feel awkward. Yeah, of course it is. Kind of... and, it, and again, I've talked about the American high school thing. I, I'm only exposed to that by virtue of the stuff I see on television that's watched by my daughter. And the blue style is almost certainly the geek. Yeah. Often the geek who everybody actually wants a piece of because they're very clever or yeah. the one with the glasses, the nerd. Um, so it's, it's usually very harshly put across. Um, you get somebody with a lot of green who's the nice one. She's mm. uh, and by the way, this fits in not just high school and, and, and school environments, but popular fiction, popular popular television programs. You think of something like Star Trek, and you've got Mister Blues, Mister Spock, which yeah. is very logical. Uh, you've got Bones is the Doctor, and he wants it done this way. It's got to be done that way, surely. Uh, Captain Kirk, a lot of yellow to that, a bit of red as well. But he's like swashbuckling. Let's find out. Let's beam down and see what happens. That sort of thing. And and of course, you, you get somebody with um, I don't know which is the fourth. Oh yes, somebody like Worf, who's the the Klingon commander wants to blow everything yeah. up. So th these things actually prevail in popular culture as well, which is why the kids are exposed to it. I think as they come out of their teenage years, this stuff becomes extremely useful when they start to recognise that it's not just about them. Mm -hmm. Our kid, Rosie, she's 11. She, by virtue of what we talk about a lot at home, as you'd imagine, she really gets it. She understands herself to have a lot of primary red energy and not a lot of green energy. Her friend, rather interestingly, opposites attract, has got a lot of green energy. Yeah. Now, that doesn't work 100% of the time, but most of the time they actually bounce off each other. The green energy in her friend makes her a little bit more aware of feelings. And yeah. she'll say, oh, um, so Lucy uh, sent me a message and, and I went back and said, are you okay? 
because I know she's got a lot of green. She'll actually say that. And she's done it on the basis of the knowledge of this. Otherwise, she wouldn't bother to went to she gives it and play another game. Yeah. Because the red is sort of a bit of a shrug. So I think absolutely this should be taught at schools. And, um, and I don't know why it's not. Right. It's a shame. It's one of those things that would make children ready for the outside world, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not one of the three R's, is it? And no. uh, it, how measurable is this? <laughs> I was just about to say, it's not measurable. <laughs> how does it that can't be SAS <laughs> test, yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, brilliant. So, ultimately, what's your personal goal behind the work that you do? Wow. The, the work that I do is a lovely phrase, because I don't think I work, Warren, Okay. I've I've developed a set of circumstances and context in my life to allow me to be who I am as a career. So if I won 20 million quid on the lottery, um, I'd do more of this. I'd stand up in front of more people. Yeah. Uh, and I would put this message out there. Um, You'd influence I, more. I would, or, yeah. Or spread knowledge more, influence. Probably. Yeah, I would. And, and whilst that's not an overriding goal, um, I'm far too selfish for that. I'll be honest. Uh, that's that red kicking. I'm basically saying, no, I, I want to be sure that my family's okay first. Yeah. Certainly with regard to health, but certainly also with regard to financial stability. Um, once that's sorted, I can be extraordinarily generous. But up to that point, you know, it, it's about me. Yeah. But it is important stuff. I do get a kick out of doing some of the coaching work that I do. And every now and again, and sometimes it's up to seven or eight years later, I get a little message from somebody and say, Andy, you made a difference. And you can probably tell, that's when that green bubbles yeah. up. And that's the emotions of the green bubbling up and going, hey, I must never not do this. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. It's been great to have you as a guest on the podcast, Andy. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Where can they get details of the books? Where can they buy the books? Yeah, so. they can buy Exclusively on my website, because uh, we're a bit lazy around Amazon. We, we'll sort that out at some point. But on my website, which is my name, andyedwards.biz. But you can also, when you get to that website, not only buy the book, which I hope you do, um, you can also play the card game, which is basically which colour preferences are you? And you can put those in order. And once you put them in the order that you believe yourself to be, you can press submit and you'll get a little video of me acting like you, and then an opportunity to download a two-page profile, all free, all okay. about you. Brilliant. So give that a go. That's a great giveaway and a great access to some additional information for our listeners. So, Annie, once again, thank you for being a great guest. My absolute pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. One of the most satisfying things a business owner can experience is seeing the team he or she recruited work well together in harmony. Not only does it reduce your own levels of stress and push the company forward, it's that confirmation of your ability to lead, to read people and understand how individuals with completely different attitudes, strengths and weaknesses will work well together. As you've heard on this podcast, smart recruitment and maintaining a happy team are at the very heart of a successful business. And Andy's book and ongoing work with his applied psychometric awareness and new personal development are incredible resources to anyone committed to running a harmonious workplace and putting a little magic into their interpersonal relationships. To find out more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content as well as information on our peer groups, one-to-one coaching and events. We've got the second and third of our Evolve webinars coming up in the coming days and weeks and all of that information can be found on our website 
and on our social media pages. Our very first webinar with life coach and stress expert Becky Holston in which she spoke about building resilience was a great success and I'd like to thank everyone who attended. If you didn't get the chance to attend, the webinar is now available in full on the Evolve website, accompanied by an article featuring some of the highlights as well as an inspiring video. Please also go to inspireaccountants.co.uk, our sister company, to find out how we can help ambitious business owners with business and tax advisory services. I really hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you haven't yet, then please do subscribe so you can get your weekly Evolve podcast delivered automatically to your device. We're constantly striving to bring you guests who provide new insights and value to you, whether that's to do with your work life or your personal well-being. Thank you for listening. And from all the Evolve team, we wish you a great week and hope to see you again soon.